0: James chapter 1, and um, <clears throat> this is a familiar passage for most, and uh, I want to pull some things out of it. How many of you love victory? Anybody love victory? Anybody love winning? Anybody, anybody love being on top and not, not being at the bottom? Come on, you don't root for the team that loses. You don't root for the last place team. You know, we, we don't get excited when we get defeated. You know, some people are more competitive than others, and, you know, just no matter what it takes, they're not going to lose. And if they lose, they're what we call sore losers, right? I don't know. We might have some sore losers in here, but in the kingdom, we ought to be sore losers because there's only one answer. There's only one option in the kingdom of God that's winning. That's victory. Our God has already called us to overcome. But how many of you know that, uh, you know, victory, we usually think of victory as an end result. We usually think of victory as the last thing, like when the last, you know, second ticks off the clock, uh, you know, when the, the last out is made in baseball because there is no clock, uh, you know, when, when we, we, we always see victory as the end of something. But I want to talk to you tonight about victory in the midst of it. How, how can you act like a winner when maybe you feel like you're losing, right? Uh, Because, you know, if we believe God's word and he's caused us to triumph, amen, and he's called us to be more than conquerors, more than overcomers, uh, you know, then, you know, there's really nothing that can keep us from winning. But yet, you know, sometimes we are in the midst, you know, some people say, you know, I might lose a battle, but I'll win the war. But, you know, even in the midst of that, we we have to be people that keep our head up and call ourselves winners regardless of what we see. Okay? And so victory in the kingdom of God is not moved by natural circumstances. <laughs> okay? That's the first thing you gotta understand. Victory in the kingdom is, is not determined by what your life currently projects. Okay? And so, you know, this passage here in James chapter one Um, I believe, speaks to that. James chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, they're scattered for a reason here. They're scattered because of persecution. James is talking to a group of believers that are enduring some persecution right now. He's talking to a group of believers uh, that... Uh, don't necessarily feel like overcomers at this point there there's persecution coming down hard from uh the natural government and, and we may not be seeing this so much in, in the united states but it's already taken place on the other side of the globe and there's persecution coming down for religious beliefs and 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 and, and what you attain to religiously and uh, so that's what these believers are going through and so he says here to the twelve Tribes that are scattered abroad. But look what he says in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Everybody say all. All, all joy. That means there's nothing that you can count not joy. Right? There's, there's nothing you can count sad. He doesn't say count some of it joy. He doesn't say count 90% of it joy. He says count it all joy. Look at this. When you fall into various trials. Now, we do a great job of counting it all joy when we get out of various trials. But he says, count it all joy when you fall into. Because your joy is not determined by your natural circumstance. That's the number one thing we can pull out of here, is that our joy comes from somewhere else. See, if your joy is is fixated upon... Uh, natural results and what's in the bank and is everything paid on time and and how the marriage is today and are your children acting properly and do we have the best job and do we have that position we've been longing for? You know, uh, is everything in the natural surrounding my life determining my joy or not? And he says here, count it all joy when you fall into, not when you get out. So we've got to get into the trial with joy. <laughs> we've got to get into the trial with joy. That also tells me this. If, if my natural circumstance doesn't determine my joy, then my natural circumstance can't steal my joy. <laughs> I mean, he cannot make this statement if my joy can fluctuate with my current situation. Well, we don't have any roller coaster Christians, right? We, he's talking about staying at joy. Joy, no matter what's going on. When you fall into, that means the trial doesn't have to rob you of your joy. We can remain joyful. We can remain joyful. I probably should have told you this before. Some of my, uh, you know, really good note takers in here are going to get mad at me. But I'm about to give you five steps for seeing victory. Let me just go ahead and give you my headline. Five steps for receiving victory. Five steps. So number one is remain joyful no matter what. Go into the trial with joy. Get out of the trial with joy. Uh, While you're in the midst of the trial, stay with joy. You just got to be joyful. You just got to be joyful. Uh, Paul put it this way. He said, rejoice in the Lord always and again. He's reminding you, by the way, if you already forgot, stay in joy, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I mean, David repeatedly uh, talked about it in Psalms, talking about my soul is rejoicing. I will rejoice in the Lord. Let every breath, uh, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Give joy. You've just got to remain joyful no matter what. If you're going to see victory, you've got to remain joyful. When we lose joy, we lose victory. When we lose joy, we lose victory. See, joy in the kingdom is not an emotion. It's not an emotion. Joy in the kingdom is a position, it's not an emotion. Because my emotions can fluctuate, right? My emotions can go up, my emotions can go down. But joy is a position. And if I remain in joy, I'm positioned for victory. The victory is in the joy. When I'm sick, I'm in joy. When I'm, when I'm feeling 100%, I'm in joy. When there's nothing in the account, I'm in joy. When everything's in the account, I'm in joy. And, and, and so I'm in joy. I'm in position to receive the answer. He says, to be joyful, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, see, most of us want that to say, the testing of your faith produces blessing. The testing of your faith produces answers. The testing of your faith produces health. The testing. But he says the testing of your faith produces patience. Number two is remain patient. The testing of your faith produces patience. Why? Because there's going to be some enduring that needs to take place now. If you ask my son what patience means, he he has the answer. Patience is waiting with a good attitude. Right? Right? Any of your kids know that one? If they've been back here for enough time, I I believe that was our answer, our fruit of the spirit last summer. Am I correct? Patience. What does patience mean? Waiting with a good attitude. Because anybody can wait. Whether you wait patiently or impatiently, that's up to you. But you're waiting either way. And he says here that the testing of your faith produces waiting with a good attitude. Waiting with the right attitude. See, when we become impatient, so we want the microwave God. We want the God that's going to answer us now. We want the God that's going to give us the answer now. Uh, you know, this thing's due tomorrow. And so we, we, we put a timeline on God. And God's timeline is way different than our timeline. And so all he's asking us to do is the, is the, the, the testing of your faith. Allow that to produce some patience in you. Patience. Patience. Don't become impatient. Don't. And here's another thing that happens when you become impatient. Anybody. You've heard me use the whole, uh, you know, analogy of waiting in line at the grocery store. And, you know, you're in a hurry and you get stuck behind the elderly person that either wants to write the check when, you know, who's writing checks these days or wants to pick out everything, you know, the change down to the last cent. And you're thinking, come on, man, you know, some of us got some places to be right now right but have you ever been that person that got out of the line thinking you could get in a quicker line and you just set yourself back even more anybody anybody want to admit to that being that person yep because here's what impatience does to you you try to force things to happen rather than just letting god take care of it when we become impatient we start taking things into our own hands abraham you want to take things into his own hands right 25 years that's a long time to wait on the promise that you're going to be the father of many nations and god's working some things and so abraham you know uh you know uh, back in genesis chapter 12 and genesis chapter 15 when god gave those commands he never specifically said and sarah will be the one to give the child And so Abraham's starting to do some thinking for God. Anybody ever try to do some thinking for God? God needs a little help. I know he's promised, but let me see what I can do to push him in the right direction. But no, the testing of our faith, see, the testing of Abraham's faith was producing patience. Patience. We've got to remain patient. I've got to back up to Acts chapter 5. Keep your finger in James chapter 1 because we're not done. James chapter 1 tells us five principles that we need so we can see victory in our lives. See, if you realize that you're victorious at the beginning, you'll realize you're victorious in the midst of it, and you'll end up victorious in the end of it. You don't want to start out victorious and then end up a loser. Okay? We want to remain victorious all The way through the trial. Acts chapter five, verse forty. Acts chapter five, verse forty. It says, and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Verse forty-one. So they departed from the presence of the council. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. I'm having to back up a little bit. But they departed from the council. They just got beat, literally, physically beat. I'm not talking about beat in your bank account or beat, uh, you know, in your health or beat in your marriage. I'm talking physically beat lashes upon their backs. But they departed the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. See, joy is what pushes you through this thing. And when you're waiting patiently, that's what helps you keep your joy. It's all connected, it's all connected. They are able to keep their joy, and as a result of that, they didn't cease. They didn't quit. See, we give up when we lose our joy. We give up when we lose our joy. Joy is our perspective. Joy is what tells us, even though it's like this right now, it's not going to be this way forever. It's not, it doesn't have to end up this way. And so now that pushes me. I'm seeing the testing of my faith, but that's just producing patience. That's just producing patience. So go back over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Number three is ask God. Ask God. Now, you may be saying, well, yeah, of course we've got to ask God. But here's what I, here's what I really want to harp on. Here's what I want to count on. Ask God first, not last. See, we get real good about asking God when we have expensed All of our resources. We've tried it our way. We've done all our different things. And now, okay, God, nothing's working out. So what do you got for me? I need some wisdom. And we need to ask God first. Make him the priority. Be proactive, not reactive. Let's go ahead and get into this thing and say, God, I want to know your way of doing this. I want to see your way through this thing. I want to know what your answer. And wisdom. Asking God for wisdom. Asking God for the ability to make the right choice at the right time. Wisdom is necessary. Wisdom is is important. God doesn't want us going through this thing ignorant. He doesn't want us going through this thing guessing. He wants us going through this thing with wisdom, his wisdom. And he says, just ask of me and I'll give to you liberally, freely. And thank God that we're not asking him for something that he can't give us. We're asking him for wisdom and he says, and I'll give it to you. He's got it. He wants to give it to you. So we've got to ask God, but ask God first, not last. Next one that I want to look at, number 4, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse 6, but let him ask, there's a certain way to ask now, in faith, with no doubting. Isn't that interesting that he had to add with no doubting? Because how many of us ask in faith with doubting? <laughs> because we're asking with our mouths, but we're believing something different with our hearts. What's he saying there? Get your heart in your mouth to line up. He's 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 making a point here. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You know Jesus had something to say about faith and doubt over in Mark chapter eleven. Mark chapter eleven We're talking about victory in the midst. We're talking about seeing ourselves through victory until we receive the victory. You know, even, even in sports, even in sports, coaches will tell their players and their teams that it doesn't matter what the scoreboard says. It doesn't matter what the first half looked like. It doesn't matter what, that, what just happened on that play. You forget that and we play like we're victorious. I remember my coach uh in, in baseball in high school baseball used to always tell us this. And and we would be, you know, halfway through the game, we would be running up the score. I mean, my sophomore year we won state. We were first place in the state of Texas, and that's a big state to get first place in. That's nothing. That's no small feat. Right? I got my Texas girl here now. Yep. First place. But he used to always tell us, I mean, we, we could be up by, you know, six or seven runs, you know, you know, halfway through the game. And he would always say this, the score is zero, zero. Score zero, zero. What's that mean? I mean, at any point we can let our guard down and we can start letting defeat overtake us. But no, we play like we were fighting for the victory. You play like you're fighting for the victory. See, you know, sometimes we even get over on the other side where uh, 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 we are, you know, everything's going great for us. And we start forgetting our confession of victory. We start forgetting how to act victorious and live victorious and be victorious. Now, we, this is something we've got to remain constant in, consistent in, that I'm going to operate and think and talk like a victorious person. I'm not going to let that guard down. Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus says this. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And watch this. And does not doubt in his heart. Again, what's being reiterated here? Get your mouth and your heart connected. Get your talking and your believing connected. Connected you got to talk what you believe, and you got to believe what you talk. You know, I, I grew up in a generation that was real big on confession, confession, confession. And we talked about that, and this was a verse that we confessed all the time. I'm speaking to my mountain. I'm speaking to my mountain. Well, do you believe what you're saying about your mountain? Because we forget the fact that Jesus is making here is that the confession is no good without the believing. What's in my my mouth needs to be a product of what's in my heart. He says, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. See, you can have what you say, yes. But you've got to believe that you can have what you say. There's got to be some believing. We've got to get our heart aligned with what we're saying. See it's, it's terrible. When we disbelieve ourselves. It's terrible when we're confessing something. And we haven't quite got our. Belief hooked up to that. And your belief. System. Is what will see you through to victory. Your belief system. Is what will see you Through victory you know these coaches at halftime they get in there and their team their team may be down and it doesn't matter you know why because everybody's seen a good comeback and everybody loves a good comeback and it it doesn't matter a good coach will go in there and they will make their team believe that they can win the game they will make their team believe it they will get it so deep down in here that their actions on the field will start to produce and will start to reflect what they believe in their heart. You know they're they're down by three touchdowns. Why are they playing so hard? Why don't they just give up? That's what you know people that are watching think. But on um, that, for them, they don't see themselves as losers. They they see themselves as victorious. They've had too many people. They've had too many coaches getting in their faces saying, "You can do this. We can overcome this. We can come through. We can beat this thing." And that's the way we've got to be. We don't look at our circumstances to. to To determine our belief system, we allow our belief system to change our circumstance. So we got to remain faithful, not faithless. If you can believe it, you can see it. Brother Hagin used to always say, uh, see with the eyes of your heart. See with the eyes of your heart. What's that mean? Don't see with your natural eyes, but see with, your, with the eyes of your heart that believes a different outcome than what you're currently seeing naturally. Most people get defeated and get talked out of their vision and out of the answer that God has for them because they're only looking at what is currently going on, not what they want to see. Now we, we've ministered on it many times. We've ministered on it many times. That there's an answer, there's a vision that God has for you, and that's where faith comes in, because the vision never looks like what it currently is. And Hebrews eleven six tells us, without faith, it is impossible impossible. There is is no possibility you're going to please God without operating in faith. If we only live like the way it is, is the way it's going to be, there's no pleasing God in that. It's impossible. But what is possible for a man? What is possible for a believer that will start to see with the eyes of his heart, that will start to believe something contrary to what he sees? And you'll begin to see You'll begin to see with your natural eyes what your heart sees. You know, Paul talked about it. He says uh, 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 over in, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, um, he says, Do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. And we've defined this before, that, that those words, do not look, doesn't mean ignore. It means do not gaze upon. Do not fix your eyes upon. See, some of us don't get our eyes off of the situation long enough to see what the Word says about it. Some of us only look at what is currently going on, and we never take an opportunity to get our eyes off of that and see what God's Word says about it. And so our belief system, it never allows itself to align with God's Word because we're only looking at what is currently going on. You've got to be able, you've got to learn to see with a different set of eyes. And number five, he finishes out there in James chapter one. Let me get back over there. James chapter one, verse six said, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Verse seven, he defines this. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Number five is keep your mind stayed on victory. Keep your mind stayed on victory. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. See, the staying is where the battle comes in. You know, over in Ephesians, Paul says, and when you've done all to stand, stand. Some translations even use the word withstand. And that means to hold your ground. That means to hold your ground. That means somebody's trying to get you off of it, And you've got to remain fixed upon it. And we know the battlefield is in the mind. If the devil can defeat you in your mind, he can defeat you in your life. I love what Pastor Darrell said when he was here. He says, uh, you can't defeat your problem until you defeat your mind. If you want to defeat the problems in your life, you've got to defeat your thinking. You've got to change your thinking. That's the number one message that Jesus came preaching when he came uh, to demonstrate and reveal the kingdom of God to man. He said, repent. Repent. Because the thing that's going to keep you from seeing and exercising and operating in the kingdom of God, seeing and entering, as he told Nicodemus, he said, the thing that's going to get you out of that is your mind. You see the kingdom with your mind. You enter the kingdom. You operate in the kingdom with your mind, with our thinking. And so Paul is saying here that if we say one thing with our mouth and believe one thing in our heart, we're a double-minded man, unstable in all our ways, tossed to and fro. And he just clearly says, let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says this. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. When your mind wanders, your blessing wanders. When your mind wanders, your answer wanders. We, We begin to get further away from the answer, from the victory that we're believing God for. And Paul says right here, if we can keep our minds stayed, if we can stick to what the word says, it's a, it's a mind game, guys. You know, going back to sports again, you know, a, a, a lot of these, you, we, we don't hear it because we're watching, you know, television and seeing all these games. But if you could be down there on the field and you could hear everything that's going on, these guys are chattering back at each other. These guys are talking. Why? They're trying to get in each other's head. They're trying to say something that will try to get the other. Even if the guy doing the chattering, he may be weaker and have less skill than the other guy, but he can beat him because he gets in his mind. happens all the time. It happens all the time. Because if you can get defeated in your mind, you'll be defeated in your life. And the enemy knows that. And the number one place he shows up to attack you, you know, you, you've heard me talk about this before. The enemy can't touch your finances. The enemy can't touch your body. He can't touch your marriage. He can't touch your home. But if he gets in your mind. He'll make you think differently about your finances than you ought to. He'll make you think differently about your marriage than you ought to. He'll make you think differently about your job than you ought to. He'll make you think differently about favor than you ought to. He'll make you think differently about peace than you ought to. And when you think differently, then your body begins to, your life begins to align itself with that. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, that if you want to transform your life, you've got to renew your mind. The renewing of our mind will transform our living. Our day-to-day operation changes when we think in alignment with God's word. If you want to see victory in your life, you have to think it. You have to constantly keep it in your mind. And, 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 And there's so many things that will try to come against that thought process. There's so many things that will try to come against how you think. About victory and how you think about this or how you think about that. If you think defeat, if you think defeat, you will see defeat. If you think defeat, you'll see defeat. Paul put it this way. He said, cast down. Right. Cast down every thought, every imagination. That exalts itself, raises itself up. And he says to bring it into the obedience of Christ. Guys, that's our job. We've got to take thoughts captive. We cast down every argument. We cast down every thought that tries to come up and and argue with what God's word says. And sometimes it's so bad you can literally feel or see the argument taking place. it's, it's, It's the word side versus your circumstance we've got to cast down those thoughts that don't align themselves. And and Paul said this over in Philippians. He said, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is a good report, think on these things. Think on these things. Because how I think determines how I live. How I think determines the result that I get when I'm in the midst. And when you're in the midst of it and you're, you're trying to remain in a victorious posture, in a victorious position, See, see, victory is not determined in our lives by what we're currently going through. That's why us as believers, it may look like we're losing, but we're always winning. We're victorious. In my mind, I'm victorious. And the world has a word for that. They call it crazy. They call it crazy, but that's all right. How can you, how can you act that way when your bank account looks like this? Hey, I'm victorious. I've got the answer. My God's called me to be more than an overcomer. Well, how can you talk that way? You're, you're, you got these this symptoms in your body. Well, I'm victorious. I, I've already got healing. It's already been purchased for me. It's, the, the sacrifice has already been made. The stripes have been laid on his back. I've already received my healing. Jesse Planks likes to put it this way. He says, before I was sick, I was healed. It's it's things like that that you get a hold of that see you through to the victory that God's promised you. Amen? Number one, remain joyful no matter the circumstance. Number two, don't become impatient. Number three, ask God and ask God first. Number four, remain faithful, not faithless. And number five, keep your mind stayed on the victory when you've done all to stand don't sit right when you've done all to stand is isn't that a terrible position to be in we've done all to stand we've put off all, all this effort forth to see the answer to see the victory that we're believing god for and then at the last second we cave we sit but no he says when you've done all to stand stand withstand the enemy withstand the attacks you know uh, I've, I've said this before when, when you've got two teams going at it, both teams at the end of the game are weary and tired. They're battling just because, uh, you know, we, we, we have this impression that if you're victorious, then, you know, everything is good and everything looks great and everything uh, is, you know, you, you're not all worn down and beat down. No, there's, there's some weariness that can show up whether you're winning or losing, whether you win the game or not. There's sweat dripping off of both teams' brows. They're, they're, both of them are ready to get, or throw in the towel. Many of them are ready to find a seat and somebody get me some Gatorade. Somebody get me some refreshments right now. Both of them are at that point. But the, vic, the victorious are the ones that withstand and they continue to see themselves victorious all the way through to the end. Don't allow the world to tell you what victory looks like. Don't let the world determine your victory. Don't let them dictate what victory looks like to you. Your God determines victory, and he's already provided the victory. I'm not preaching to, I'm not telling you how to gain victory. I'm telling you how to stay victorious. And that's the difference between us and, and, and many churches. Many churches will talk to you like you're trying to obtain something that God is dangling out, hoping that, you know, you'll have enough faith to get it. No, this is something you've already got. We have to convince ourselves that we have it. And you know, on top of that, the devil knows what you got. He knows you're victorious. He knows he's lost. So why let a loser talk you out of your winning? Why let someone who's already lost bring you down to say, well, I'm lost. You know, I've lost it, but you've lost it too. No, we stand in victory. We stand knowing that I've already, the, the, pi, the price has already been paid. I've already received access. The kingdom of God is within me. Every resource, every blessing. Ephesians 1 tells us that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. There's nothing else that God is trying to get to you. There's nothing that you're fighting for. You're fighting to remain in victory you're fighting to keep a hold of you've already got healing i don't have to go pray to god for healing i can demand my healing you've already given me access to it so i thank you for the healing that you've already provided for me and devil you cannot take my healing from me i'm victorious i've got the victory amen well father we thank you tonight we thank you for this word we thank you that you have already obtained all the victory for us. you whipped and stripped the devil of all power that he had. You made an open spectacle. Humiliated him. And Father, we thank you that because of that, we can rejoice and we can dwell in and we can live in the victory that is already ours. So, Father, we dwell on this. We keep our minds on this. We remain joyful. We remain in joy. We don't get down. We don't get sad. We don't let uh, let our emotions get the best of us, but we remain uh, joyful because we know the victory has already been obtained. Father, I thank you that we remain patient to see the outcome that you've promised us. We remain patient. We don't become impatient. We don't try to do things for you. We don't try to, to get out ahead of what you've called us to do, but we stay right in the middle of the will of God. We stay right in the middle of where you've called us to be so we can see that victory come to pass. Father, we come to you first. We ask of you knowing that you've got all the wisdom we need. You've got all the answers that we need. And Father, rather than you being a last resort, we make you the first priority. And Father, we remain faithful in you. Remain faithful to believe you at your word. We keep our faith and we speak faith without doubting in our heart. We speak what we believe and we believe what we speak. Father, lastly, I thank you that we keep our minds stayed on the victory that you've promised us. We do not allow our minds to go to the right or to the left. We don't allow ourselves to get off. All distraction has to cease. We we don't allow ourselves to become unfocused on the answer that you've placed in front of us. We stand our ground. We thank you for victory. We thank you for victory. We thank you for answers. We thank you for answers when it seems like all we have is questions. We thank you for victory when it seems like we're just getting beat down. We thank you that we are on top. We thank you that you have called us to be victorious believers in the kingdom of God. We stand on that tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you believe that with me tonight? Hallelujah. We want to take up our and offering at this point. Our ushers are beginning to move. Now, if you need an offering envelope, please raise your hand. Hi. Touch the sky. Amen. We appreciate your giving and your service and participation in the kingdom. By sowing financially. Amen. What an awesome opportunity we have to sow financially. You know, think about it this way. God didn't have to ask you for money. But then you wouldn't have the opportunity to invest. You know, when, 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 when we, we've talked about this before. There's a difference between investors and spenders. And investors will look for things to put their money in. They will actually go around trying to find things that are worth putting their money in.